Inspired Pastry Chef Vlog, Stardate 41309.5. We are flying through this little universe as quickly as possible, just like the rest of you. There's an old asshole on this ship, just aging backwards like Mork, making shitty claims and lying to his wife. We're just taking him to negotiate a solution to what seems like a pretty volatile hostile hostage situation. He doesn't seem to really answer any questions or deal straight with anyone, but I'm sure it'll all work out fine. That's what the chain of command is for. God help us. Welcome everyone to the latest episode of Re-Engage, where your favorite four Gen X lazy bums re-watch one of our very favorite television shows of all time. We'd call it formative, I think, all four of us. We're watching it together one episode at a time with you. And uh, talking about the times when it aired and our feelings watching it again now that we are on the young side of old. So uh, I'm here. I'm Eric and I'm joined by my three friends. Let's welcome them one at a time. How you doing, Kate Yeager? I'm doing great aging backwards, <laughs> as is uh, my want to do. You and Benjamin Button and Jonathan Winters. <laughs> Jimmy right. G, what you drinking tonight? <laughs> I am drinking a little uh, Omegong Brewery out of New York City, and it is a uh, American Imperial Brown Ale. What does that mean? It means it's very strong, and I'm going to be a little tipsy tonight. Oh, well, that's fantastic. <laughs> I think that calls for a celebration. How do you celebrate something like that, Greg Tito? It's Thursday. It's time to start drinking. Uh, <laughs> Friday I, Eve. Exactly. <laughs> um, I'm excited. Yeah, this is a uh, an odd one, but a good one uh, for, for a couple of reasons and uh, not so good for a couple others. And I can't wait to dive in. Well, we're going to do just that. We're talking, of course, about the episode from season one, Too Short a Season. This is the 16th episode is that correct the 17th shot 16th aired are we are we figuring that out I believe, yet i believe that's right i think that's right um more than halfway through season one yeah we're, we're really making our our way through these and i think for myself this is one of the first ones that i remembered every plot point i remembered every moment and i could even um quote along with some of these so we're, we're entering into probably the second or third tape the VHS tape that my dad would have made of these, uh, you know, mm. six in a row on each tape. And I bet this is the beginning of one of those tapes that I would just kind of play and rewind and play all six episodes. So that's that's why I think I remember this particular one. This would have been February 8th, 1988. We remember it well, don't we? So of well. Of course. <laughs> Last week we thought about Could Have Been by Tiffany, still number one. Bonfire the Vanities, still number one. Good Morning Vietnam, still number one. But the number one album in the land gives way from Tiffany's Tiffany to George Michael's Faith. Ooh. Oh. Faith, Faith, Faith. Uh, great album. <laughs> I will be your father figure. I, I mowed yeah. the lawn. The <laughs> I mowed the lawn to that song the other day. I'm just screaming <laughs> it like you can. Did you also have really short cut off uh, jeans while you're doing so? I mean, on the inside. <laughs> 
um, that al- that album was a hundred percent verboten to me uh, oh. as, a, as a child of that age because there was just too many naughty things on that album, including Father Figure. Sure. Uh, so, like but, a virgin had been off limits before this, right? Yes. Yeah. Mm. Understood. Understood. This one actually, we talk about Tiffany. This one. Uh, the beginning of 1988, I mean, it's worth rehashing a little bit of the album wars that happened to start off the year. We started with Dirty Dancing soundtrack as number one for the first two weeks, then Faith as number one in the middle of January, then Tiffany took over for two weeks, and then George Michael came back and said, wow. I'm going to be number one again for five weeks this time. And wow. then Dirty Dancing came back and said, I'm going to be number one for nine weeks wow. in a row this time. And then Faith came back and said, I'm going to be number one for six more weeks. And then we're at halfway point in the year and they move on to somebody else. Wow. So uh, I had forgotten yeah. the the great album wars of early 1988. Well, I remember that year it was if George Michaels sees his shadow, we'll get six more weeks of winter. That's how we <laughs> marked time. His I five think. o'clock shadow. Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so we, here we are. We are at too short a season. <laughs> we we meet early on Admiral Mark Jameson, and uh, what do you think of 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 him, Greg, as he stands in the the annals of Starfleet admirals? He's uh, the a, the admiral annals, if you will. <laughs> the, <laughs> the, the annals of admiral annals. Uh, yes. He's he's odd to begin with. Like he starts with a very you know, they they really play up how old he is. He is uh, very old. <laughs> it yes. Turns out, it's he's wearing like a metric ton of makeup on his face. Oh yeah, uh, latex and all of it. Uh, but it's done so. I don't. I don't want to say inexpertly, but close to that. <laughs> um, that I. I the the gag works. You actually do believe that there's someone on there. They know that there's makeup on him, but you didn't realize that there's a young actor uh, underneath all of that until until the end of it. Um, but he's very gruff. Doesn't really connect uh, very well with Picard, and they kind of all just chalk it up to. You know, I'm almost reminded of how they had a reverence for DeForest Kelly's uh, appearance in Firepoint. Like, they're all like, oh, you're just an old man and we're, you know, and we'll, we'll give you the con and, you know, oh, we'll make sure that you feel like you're you're respected. Uh, you're playing along. <laughs> right. We'll pat you on the back, but not too hard. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and he very quickly tries to, to, to get angry about that. And you see all of it in that first that first moment, that first introduction uh, that he's... Um, you know, going to be a character that you're not necessarily trusting from from his demeanor, right? And uh, you know, Kate brings up often about you know, are we decide whether to have good li- good liar characters or bad liar characters? And I think this episode is just chock full of the bad ones. These people have decided they do not lie well, and we're all going to be villains. What do you think, Kate? <laughs> Yeah, I I want to talk about the the there's like red flags right away with both the admiral and with Carnus, right? Right. Like where immediately there is just a, an I don't trust atmosphere about both of those characters. Right. And you've got Carnus who is trying to set up sort of this. I'm just the mediator. Like I'm just trying to broker this piece while he's sitting in front of. A, a wall filled with guns. Right. <laughs> and then there's these massive birds of prey 
in front of his desk, I think. Uh, so the whole thing is just predator, predator, predator. And then we're supposed to be surprised later. Well, ah. And they cast the great Michael Pataki as Karnas, who was the trainer of the Russian in Rocky Four, <laughs> And he was one of the creepy doctors in Halloween 4. And like, this is not, you know, he's a bad guy on Cagney and Lacey and the Fall Guy and all well, that shit before he goes and- on. The Klingon on Troubles with Tribbles. Oh, fantastic. So, like, so. You, you you put him in this. Like, just the casting itself, you're saying don't trust this guy for a second, right? Yeah, absolutely. And then and then the, the way that the old age makeup was done, which I will just say is not good. Uh, <laughs> It, it 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 makes shadows of his eyes which means that of the admiral which means we're we're untrusting of him already plus sure. it's just you know there's there's very little life beneath that mask that he has to start with right uh, i i completely agree with that what do you think jimmy uh the makeup is horrendous <laughs> um and i had to like just strongly disagree with Greg. <laughs> like, as soon as I saw this guy, I was like, oh, yeah, this is... He's a young guy, and we're going to see a young guy. Like, there is no way we weren't going to see the young actor when you see that much makeup. There's just zero chance you put an actor through all of that, and they just stay old the whole time. You, you would right. just go get an old actor, so immediately... And I don't remember this at all until I rewatched it, so I'm okay. watching it from a jaded... You know, almost fifty-year-old actor, and I, I'm looking at it going, "Oh, yeah, he's definitely got to be a young person at some point." And well, he's starting off like a big asshole. Like, right. I mean, this is a sort of a trope, though, right? Where the admiral comes on board and starts knocking the captain around, like, "This is my ship now, and you're going to do what I say." And uh, it, it just, it, it really didn't go anywhere for me with this guy. He was just, he was bad from the beginning to the end. He's like the third Kaczynski. <laughs> yeah, he is. He is. And we're going to get more. Um, <laughs> the I want to take you all on Krista's journey as she watched this next to me. Um, she she tends to watch the show while playing a game uh, on another device. So she only kind of tangentially lets it wash over her because uh, she kind of enjoys hearing about it later. <laughs> uh, figuring out whether it's intrinsically funny what we say or if it's only funny <laughs> if you're a, a Star Trek fan. So Tangentially. It, right. <laughs> but she, she noticed him early on but didn't say anything until the makeup was a little bit less as he had de-aged a bit. And then she looked at me with enormous surprise and said, wait, he was just an old guy? That wasn't supposed to be like an alien? <laughs> that was age makeup? And I'm like, yeah. And then later on, she's talk- he's talking to somebody else and-, and someone says the word alien. And she goes, see, I told you. No, 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 no. He's an alien. And I go, no, just he's still wearing age makeup. I don't know if anyone who ages actually gets more mass on their face. Usually it's that wasting away <laughs> thing, but right. he, he yeah, has like yeah. a big head. In the well, I've certainly got more mass on my face than I did when I was 25. <laughs> I guess that's true. Well, and, and you know, it's funny. there's a weird moment near the end where Karnas says, you know, he's in disbelief. And he says, Jameson would, would be at least 80 years old. 
And this guy looks like 180. <laughs> right. 80 in the in their future. Like that's right. probably not that old. Like it, he can still have a career. It's like there's no way that he's only 80 years old. Well, we got to remember though too. This is the 1980s where 80 it's looked true. so much. I look at my you know my mom and my and my late father and I look at how old they were and I look back at what I thought that age was when I was a kid and like I thought it was. Catherine Hepburn and On Golden Pond. I thought it was like very slow moving and very not what what they have been at that age. So it's it's super interesting to confront my own expectations based on, you know, performances like this in some sense of of, of a 30-year-old up there hamming up the uh <laughs> the the age stuff right off the bat. <laughs> we're we're being very hard on um, because we like, love it yeah. on Clayton Roner who uh has had a hell of a career everything from I mean this is a, a huge role to have gotten at, at such a young age uh and then I mean dude was in a human centipede three and oh, uh, and that's dude where lots, I of him lots of horror lots stuff, of horror like, films like he is a genre working actor yeah. and it's awesome I mean I, to to this day but yeah, that is the... agreed, Kate. I have not seen that one, but I have a very <laughs> strong memory of finishing the first movie drunk on my buddy's couch after everybody had left the party with like a full bottle of whiskey in my hand. And that didn't stop me from drinking for another 10 years or something. Oddly enough, he looked just as sweaty and uh, in the dark uh, in Human Sensibility as he does in this episode. <laughs> They're not kind to him in the in the makeup uh, design uh, section of his career. Um, but I mean, that's kind of one of the dreams, right? You have four or five good, solid uh, pieces of genre career fare, you know, six or seven co-stars, a couple of guest stars, and you can suddenly kind of maybe forge a career out of that. And I'm always really happy to see when people do like, I mean, we haven't talked about her yet, but Marsha Hunt uh, as as um, the admiral's wife, whose name I don't remember the character. Anne. Anne. Anne thank you, everybody. Uh, she's, I mean, one of the one of the great gets in Star Trek history is getting Marsha Hunt to come on and play this role, and she plays it enormously well. But this is a movie star from the 30s and 40s. You know, she she was under contract for Paramount and MGM, and like she was blacklisted for years in the 50s. Uh, for oh, really? some of the causes she supported in the 30s and 40s. And, like, it's so cool that you get this person who did, you know, The Lady's Not for Burning on Broadway with Vincent Price to play. <laughs> this is really her last large role. She did two or three other things that, that weren't nearly as visible as this. And to kind of come out of semi-retirement to do this big first season guest star is really a big get for them. Yeah, and I think it's she her performance is really the only way this story works mm-hmm. um, because uh, I'm, I'm blanking on the name of the actor uh, that was the Admiral. Uh, um, Clayton Roner. Clayton Roner. He makes some strange choices, which I, I think we'll get to <laughs> later. But uh, she, her reactions to everything feel just really organic. Uh, yeah. She feels... You know, hurt. My favorite scene, I think, is uh, with Doctor Crusher and and Counselor Troy, where they're just mm-hmm. 
talking like uh you know i've witnessed you know w- w- women in my family discuss the issues of getting old and 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 have being in a relationship and oh you men uh type of thing but it doesn't ever enter camp uh, or, uh like the rest of the episode does right <laughs> you know like i really feel like it's grounded in her performance and you feel for her uh and more so than than, than even uh, the reactions of the crew because the crew don't don't know this character and don't feel as hurt by it they're just more perplexed to me like hey are we is this mission gonna go off the rails because of this dude she's like no you're ruining everything we've built together and well and really as they as they establish throughout the episode too she's the only one who's not in his chain of command so mm. she at every time is our window into someone who can challenge him or feels at least initially like she can until he reacts with such disdain uh what what do you think kate let's talk a little bit more about Anne. i well i thought it was again a wonderful performance and uh everything we're saying about getting uh sort of the uh emotion of the story and the heart of the story really revolves around her uh i do want to talk about that girl talk scene though definitely because they give her terrible advice (laughs) they are not good friends in that scene they say things akin to i'm sure he still loves you and but he was doing it to save lives no that's some bullshit right you drink that wine and you talk about what a douche he is he took both doses of the serum what a dick that is the only proper response to what has happened on that ship (laughs) <laughs> Abso-freaking-lutely. I, I was impressed that they that they did the scene and spent so much time with it for for all of the reasons that we're talking about. But you're right. I mean, what terrible, terrible things to tell not, not only a, a stranger, but like anyone. It is absolutely what I would do, though, for the record. <laughs> I would 100% try to make things, say, like, try to look on the bright side and be like, hey, girl, it's okay. Right. Where's that smile? <laughs> yeah, I'm sure he still likes you. Uh, it's, I was I was so impressed, uh, just not long before this scene, at, at the end of the first scene where they have real conflict in the marriage, right? He's, he's started to youthen like Merlin in Camelot. And uh, as it goes forward, they start to argue and it, it becomes very clear through her performance more than anything else, but it's mentioned once or twice in the script that he started to change before there was any possibility he'd taken this drug. And it's very clear that she she already had him on kind of a short leash from how she responds to this initial conflict, how she straightens grabs her arm away from him and marches out of the room. Like it's got this practiced feel to it. This, I am not afraid to go do what needs to be done right now. And it's a, it's a really interesting performance choice. Uh, And it, it, I don't think is the kind of thing that finds its way into stage directions or character work with anyone else very often. It, It seems very clearly a choice that she's made and it's delightful. Yeah, you got to imagine that he's been a dick for a while. Yeah. Right? I mean 45 like, years at least. Yeah, I mean you can you <laughs> yeah. can you can argue that maybe, you know, that there's some sort of uh internal combustion happening for him that that may be making him have more bravura uh or bravado than yeah. than usual, but um 
she's heard that bullshit before. Right. And then it gets to, I did this for you, and she's out. Right. Because <laughs> you know. fuck that. Yeah. Yeah. I know that he he constantly goes back to that, but he also took both of the doses. What a douche. Yeah. So it was not at all like even as he's delivering that line, I'm like, but but you didn't. You, you what? No. <laughs> there's uh there's an interesting moment, uh I don't know, sort of parallel to to that relationship. We have Picard and Crusher, where very early mm. on she expresses concern. And right. he dis- he dismisses her pretty flippantly and then immediately realizes what he has done and takes every effort to mend that and, and bring her expertise onto the ship. I noticed that. It was a good moment for me. I did, too. It did feel very much like the the I wasn't meaning to be a dick. So let me, <laughs> you know, make sure and, and uh, go the extra mile to to include you. And glad she was there because you did get to witness all of the of what was happening. I was actually based on that scene. I thought there was going to be more doctor interference uh, uh, happening throughout, and maybe there was in the script initially. But uh, uh, that is a good call out because I did I noticed that scene too. Um, I didn't write down who wrote this episode. Did anybody happen to flag that? Yeah, DC Fontana DC. and uh, our friend. Michael Michael's lioness son. I mean, son this of a lion. <laughs> Michael Michelson. Michael. Was there a niner in there? <laughs> Michael Angelo. Michael Angelo. I think. Michael DC Angelo. Fontana put her name on this one, so that's a that's a positive. Yeah. Hey. Well, and that that kind of scene is certainly. I would have been floored had that kind of scene had Gene Roddenberry's name on it as mm. a writer. So, like, it's not surprising to me at all, and I had figured that perhaps that. She had something to do with that. It's one. It's the wonderful kind of scene to 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 put in, because we should know that, you know. I, I like those kind of flaws that are exhibited by our heroes, rather than the kinds of flaws that end up in so many dramas where we just make them an unrepentant misogynist or racist. And it's like, oh well, people are flawed. You know, this is a guy who said something that wasn't fair. Uh, that was rooted in misogyny, noticed it, took a couple seconds out of his day to be like, oh my God, sorry, <laughs> and then moved to fix it. And it was done in a straightforward way in it that, you know, that can teach people if they're in a mood to be taught. I am. I'm in that mood right now. <laughs> well, Jimmy, why don't you teach us about what they should have done with the the idea behind this drug that's that's been taken by the admiral? Oh yes, I'd love to. Uh, one quick little thing because I don't I don't know if this is true. In my reading of some of the reviews, one of the uh, uh, guys who responded to Jammer, who's a big Star Trek uh, reviewer person, uh, had brought up that this actually that this the the idea of this script was meant to be a sequel to Private Little Wars in TOS in which Kirk does a very similar thing. And it was supposed to be James T. Kirk who comes on the ship. Oh, wow. Um, as his redemption story of having done that. And supposedly he said uh, no because he thought the new show was trash. Oh. He wasn't wrong yet. He wasn't <laughs> wrong yet. Um, but which it would have been interesting and I think a, a much more profound uh, exploration. But Definitely. on this drug... Yes, On tell me about the drug. Drug. So um, the, the, one of the huge potholes in this episode is that they introduce 
and not just the the theory of a drug, but a drug that we see successfully age a obscenely decrepit human being down into a very young human being. And we can also deduct from it that had he done it responsibly, it may have been a very healthy and successful de-aging process. And this is something that is profound and it would it would change any universe it's introduced to. And there is zero chance that if this were a real drug, that uh, that planet would not immediately, they would have stopped, said, fuck the hostages. We're going to this planet at warp 12. You didn't know we could do it, but we can. <laughs> we're going to do it now. This planet is ours because this changes everything. If you can health do it in a healthy way and go backwards and they just it's just glossed over like gates mcfadden or you know crusher it's not interested in this at all like <laughs> right. so there's no interest in this brand new thing that could help billions of people uh and uh, they, they throw it to the side they're, apparently the there. the subspace communication was non-functioning too because you would think that like <laughs> someone would go uh, this guy de-aged himself without asking anybody, should right. I still d- go do this irresponsible plan that he right. wants to do in the middle of this civil war in this planet? And he did it with an herb. Yeah. With an well, herb. I mean, I, A combination I, of herbs. It's yeah. basil. I de-age myself most evenings with an herb. Want some oregano? But you know what? what? What Jameson didn't read, the small print on the herb was de-age everything except blood oath scars. We can't take Correct. that back. Blood well, scars. The makeup on will that not bad too, I So the way we're Get talking him. reminds me, and I'm sure I'm right, that <laughs> like this is such a direct parallel to Viagra, and I mean it's so fucking ridiculous that a, a direct synopsis of this character's life, this this admiral in this episode, reads right. like a, a commercial for a boner pill. It just they, does. They just needed to have more scenes of him throwing a football through a hoop. <laughs> in the in the uh, holodeck, taking a bath on a mountainside. Exactly. Yeah. Right. And you know what I think, to just to harp on this a little more. The, uh, please. The drug. Um, I think a very interesting and really cool storyline would have been us seeing that relationship of he and his wife and him becoming younger. And... The, the issues that they would create for both of them emotionally uh, of, you know, cause clearly he did love his wife, even though he didn't love her in a, a way that's, that's worthy of who she was. Um, but watching, you know, looking back or, or, or aging backwards um, and then, you know, maybe having a consequence cause he got away with it. He got, he didn't really have to, he was already old. So he was going to die. And then he was going backwards and in pain and he ends up dying. So, I don't feel like he really suffered for all the stuff that he did, like not only to this planet, but to his wife. Like he died. Big deal. You got the easy way out. I think a, a, a more interesting punishment would have been him actually living and being young and having to and then going to prison. And then, you know, the last scene is him getting out and he's old again. <laughs> and, and it was for nothing. Let me ask you, Jimmy, <laughs> if, if that had happened, would you say that the Admiral had earned redemption not redemption but he would have paid his price okay 
Okay, I don't know the difference, but it sounded nice. Then maybe like he it. would, uh, we, over those long years of reliving it, he may have come up with a better way to voice an old man. <laughs> I will say something that I did like was it was an interesting choice that once his like the the sickness and the symptoms of the drug ravaging his body took over, he brought on all of the same vocal and physical uh, choices that he had had as an old man. Right. So it was kind of interesting to see him making those choices in that situation. Consistently, I, I don't. I don't know. It's. It was interesting. Does his vocal cords not age, or not uh, age? It's a very strange situation all around. I sound he, exactly like I did when I was twenty-five. Everybody, do you think no. it was an affectation? Do you think he, he like the actor doesn't sound like that? No, he, he does. I know like it because I went down a rabbit hole because I was. I was so taken by what he did with his voice. Mm-hmm. That I went and started to YouTube and I looked at about seven to ten different pieces of his work to to see if uh, if it was a choice or not. And it was a choice because he does not sound like that. That's and right. I, I watched him like and I knew he was into horror movies, not because I went through his IMDb because I saw a all the horror scenes. interview where right. he was at a horror festival and he was talking and he was talking a lot about his craft and how like but, perfecting it meant a lot to him and he did not sound that that airy and raspy like i mean right. like, i thought he sounded like he was trying to be a a new england fisherman or something like right. a, you know in my day yeah yeah i i, I heard once tell that the, the dog was as big as a house if he was as big at all it was just, just I, I find it can be thing. really an interesting thing when you take a theater actor and put them in front of a camera. They do that. Uh, I, I don't know what his background is uh, or was at this time, but I, I know their version of being quiet for the camera can can mean more breath. Yeah. Uh, in in no that's stage quiet <laughs> that's not right. actual stage quiet right. um but again like i i completely respect everything he did through this it's just i feel like he was put in an impossible position like this is not the kind of mask work that that is uh, aided by by interesting acting so by impossible do you mean if patrick stewart was given the same challenge it would have been this, the same experience for us I have a, a saying in my own head that there's no best actor in the world, but there are people that there's no one better than. And I think that I would say that Patrick Stewart is in that camp and the other guy is not. And I don't think that that is anything controversial that anyone could disagree with no, me about, including him. Very politic. Nice. <laughs> I do want to, I don't know if necessarily the drug. They don't explain it very well away, but they do at least try to in 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 the script say that like oh it's a myth, and that it doesn't work most of the time. Like they basically are like this is not a miracle drug. This is a thing that is part of this culture. They don't give it to anybody else. They don't even give it to that many people on that planet. And I in my my brain watching this now, I equated it to like a, a um you know, like a shamanistic thing or something like that, like that, that some people do it. It's has this story behind it, but it doesn't actually ever work out. And most of them die actually. So, so it's, it. you have to take the pill and touch, a touch a crystal skull when it gets stu- struck by lightning. Yes. And okay. lick uh, the frog uh, and right. uh, inject the mushrooms into your body. Uh, all of those uh, of the above. So like, I, I, 
I don't think this he may believe that this is this would work and and you know he's got a chance and that's why but he even says like that's why I wanted to test it first you know uh and make sure that I didn't die before <laughs> I gave it to you my love uh devil test it yeah again he's unreliable even in his own stuff in there but I don't think this is the miracle drug uh I that, quote uh, Bill Hicks Take off from the ground and test it out first. Don't give drugs a bad name because you're an asshole. <laughs> uh, to continue <laughs> along the Admiral's journey uh, through through the story aspect of what we've been doing, Kate, lead us lead us through his discussion on what the Prime Directive is and what mm. it's for. Yeah. Okay. So. <laughs> We're not sure for a while what's going on, right, with uh -huh. this admiral. We know we don't trust him, but it takes a while for us to find out what he's really done, right? Right. And what he's really done is 45 years ago uh, sold arms or gave arms to Carnus, who was holding hostages for them. It sounds like Contras. So, mm. It does. It, it does. does. Uh it also sounds like Contra uh, and Contour, but not really. <laughs> uh, but then we're. But then it turns out that not only has he given arms to Carnus, but he's given them to the other side because that's how he interprets the Prime Directive, which is sort of like the most. It's like if your Prime Directive is uh, do no harm, and you're like cool machetes for everyone yeah <laughs> or if your prime directive is inform the public on the goings-on in the public sphere and you instead just say whatever the democrats and republicans say Ooh, Ooh. topical yeah i like to say that well in that <laughs> the premise was topical because what contra was i ran contra was what Absolutely. two years before yeah it was arms for hostages a, like yep. it's just happening no, it's just such an interesting... We, we talk about how in season one, they're still trying to negotiate what the Prime Directive is. You know, they sort of have different ways of explaining it. This is by far the worst. <laughs> right. And you know what's interesting, yeah. Kate, or I think is interesting, is that they, um, they brought it up so many times in this first season. Uh, and this was the first case where we could have seen, oh, yeah, that's why there is a Prime Directive, because of this. Because of people like him in these situations, that's why we're such dicks and hard asses about it. Because you might want to help somebody, but, you know, 45 years later, people have, you know, they've murdered each other for decades because you wanted to help out. Right. The whole idea is like uh, if, you give, yeah. if you give technology right. to certain parties on that planet and not to right. everyone, who's to say those aren't going to just oppress everyone? Like there's so many ripples butterfly effect right. that can that can go off of that yeah yeah it's an interesting sci-fi trope to talk about more of those you know this this is a, a take on the time travel story in that it shows us what happens in a butterfly effect kind of way like greg's saying but we don't get to see the beginning uh we just get to see the results of the morlocks uh subjugation mm -hmm. <laughs> and being right. driven underground we don't get to see what did it we just get to hear about that part but at right. the same time then you have the one who did it de-aging himself back into the person he was when he caused it so like it's ham-handed but it's it's interesting it certainly is it's just it's patient storytelling too like they they meet out the information that you need in a really satisfying way, I think, so that we're we're almost we're we're beyond halfway. I think when we finally realize what had happened in the past, 
Uh, I, I want to talk to you about right. that. I mean, d- d- were you satisfied the whole time? or Because I was very satisfied with the ending of it, but the build-up to it, I found myself being very angry by the time they got to, I think there's something you're not telling me. Because of course mm. there is. The moment well, they yes. showed up on screen... Uh, I, I agree with all of that except the, the like the casting and the, the the performance choices of those two characters. Wait, say that again. The the performance choices of the Admiral Incarnus and the casting of oh. those two actors showed them to be villains from the moment you yes. saw them. And Correct. if there had been some other way to do that, I I think the rest of the episode is super interesting. Yeah, I love the idea. I mean, it's another great. This is a sci-fi idea. This is, we're in outer space. We're going to deal with crazy stuff that only happens out in deep space where nothing can be explained and drugs can make you de-age and one person can rule the world, you know, because of course, Karnas is again, the one, (laughs) one person ruling the planet Uh, again. But uh, I love the act, the concept not executed well. I love the ideas that they had with, because it's big sci-fi stuff. I want to, what did you guys think of, because it is a very big sci-fi idea, but it was also a very kind of human mistake that he made. Like, I think, I think he realizes now 45 years later that what he did was not the right choice, even though he might've brilliantly thought it was. And he goes on to have this career of being uh, lauded for his negotiation skills and maybe he gets better at it. Uh, I assume that he does, but he's haunted by this one fuck up that he's done and what it's meant to this entire planet and tried to ignore it for for so long i don't know right. I, I, that's a very interesting idea i think that anybody here uh is it deals with it's not very sci-fi e you know sure i mean i i i think the first time that happened to me though i i didn't you know try to keep it hidden as i brought other people into extreme danger uh in order to to uh sweep it all under the rug and and emerge a hero a second time well i definitely did all those things (laughs) (laughs) to me to me he's more like uh Uh, an Elon Musk character that Mm. is full of uh, bravado and potential and no actual anything to back it up, but who goes forward on reputation alone and because of reputation continues to have success when there may not have ever been anything to hold on to to begin with. Oh, so you're saying like he kind of fell up, failed upwards uh, because of his dickishness. Yes. Yeah. Ah. No, I I completely agree, Kate. I I wrote mm-hmm. down a a whole thing about um just the the fact that throughout this everybody knows he's wrong and the reason they don't say anything is that he's an admiral. Like yeah. even even Picard doesn't really say anything until it's obvious. Whereas, you know, they they're walking through these tunnels and this dude goes it's this way and data's like i mean i'm looking at the map right now it's (laughs) it's 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 just part of my eye it's right here where the where the fake tear duct is it's the map and i'm looking at it in high def and you're wrong and he goes i'm right and marches off and data looks at picard like what the fuck captain and captain goes i i mean you know he was probably right 40 years ago. He's like, yeah, but it's not right anymore. And he goes, I mean, he'll find that out. Let's just keep they're, going. They're still coddling the old man, right? A thousand percent. And and their boss, the old right. man. Even though coddling. he's got a five o'clock shadow that looks like George Michael. <laughs> they're coddling a war 
crime <laughs> perpetrator. Like they know. All oh, right, you just you committed war crimes. You broke the prime directive. You gave arms to two people who have been in war for forty five years. But you right? know what? Let's see how it plays out. We'll give you a pass. <laughs> and they keep going. Like, Kate, what happens when they get to the place it, that's supposed to be a corridor and it's oh a wall? Oh, my God. It is the, like, best example of white male anger ever, which is, there's a wall there. Burn it down with hot <laughs> laser pins. <laughs> which, by the way, is that the first time in Next Generation we know that those can be used as, like, little yeah. welding machines? <laughs> right. Who knew? Stun, kill, and cut through walls. A lot of yeah. phaser work. A lot of phaser work in this one. There, there was uh, the whole arc welding aspect of the phaser <laughs> is so delightful to me because, you know, on the other side of that door are people completely armored up and using these amazing, like, 1950s arc welders to get through this wall. And then you have uh, Michael Dorn... <laughs> And uh, Denise Crosby miming, pointing at it from this side <laughs> with with a little plastic handle, and they have to look like they're angry while these other people are wielding actual firing metal and explosions on the other side of that wall. And when we've just been given the alternative, hey, we can really go anywhere in this entire place we can just go ahead just walk and, around and and go from we can beam directly behind <laughs> them if you'd like nah that's fine <laughs> well, yeah he says it like it's nothing like an old-fashioned reconnoiter or something yeah. i'm like what why are you throwing that word out there dickhead also the phasers were set to kill and that was rude just wanted to say that. Well, and we got a little moment of uh, Data trying to help Picard and Picard getting wonderfully sassy with him. I recognize the sound or something like that, right? <laughs> yeah, thank you, Mr. Data. I've heard the sound before. He's like, he's not, he's not ducking. He's just kind of kneeling up and looking around. I never knew that the phasers sounded different. Uh, is that, did they teach you that in Starfleet school? <laughs> I don't know, but I love the explanation. <laughs> Hear that? <laughs> <laughs> Their professor, Professor yeah. Michael Winslow, is there. <laughs> the binars could definitely tell what setting they're on. Yeah. You knew, you knew a first year when they walked around the hallways doing that sound. Like, oh, they're losing, they're learning phaser sounds. The you Michael Winslow that. thing is funny though because I just read before we started recording that uh, that hallway shootout scene has a matte painting that's reused from Spaceballs. Oh, fuck yeah. Which was Fantastic. produced just a few years earlier. Uh, amazing that they're like, well, you know, let's actually combine these uh, parody and real production into one. Uh, Spaceballs is the movie that my parents apologized to me after they took me to see it because I was so young and it was so inappropriate that they, but they wanted to see it so badly. That's the dream, Kate. Right? And they were like, we're sorry, that was that was not usually the kind of movie we know that we let you see and i was in love like i was like Aww. you're a real mensch i don't know what you're talking about what was that movie for ella jimmy <laughs> uh that would be a hot tub time machine oh yeah <laughs> she's a big fan of that one is she she woke up right at the perfect time to see nine inches of a dick <laughs> she'll never forget it She'll never forget it. And then, uh, sadly for me, she walked in on the bathroom a few days later while I was going pee. 
<laughs> and she says, oh, daddy, you have a baby penis. <laughs> so we're both scarred. We're both scarred from Hot Tub Time Machine. I <laughs> remember like that story, wrist. but I did not know how much of it you were going to tell, my friend. <laughs> I got to tell it all. That's going to take us from 260 in Canada to 255. Hell yeah. <laughs> yes, we should inform you. We are now 260 Canadian uh, in their in their ranking of television review podcasts. Right. Climbing up the charts. Yep, pretty impressive. Which is like, that's like, uh, you know, 185 in American. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that checks out at this point in time. I want to talk about the fact that they reuse him in shadow oh. as though it's going to surprise us one of these times. Like yeah. that we're going to get tricked one of these. It's the exact same shot every single fucking time he deages. <laughs> and the only justification for the last one could possibly be if it was going to be like Joey Lawrence. Right. Doesn't he do a whole video conference with somebody in, in the in dark sh- in, in the shadow. dark in the shadow <laughs> right in shadow not not suspicious at all well that's so that they get this long protracted thing at the end where carnage just doesn't believe it and you're like we we are been playing along with this for 45 minutes why don't you believe this at this point <laughs> do we need this 10 you know right. minute explanation for you well and then they show him a, a slideshow slide <laughs> and it is the most truncated slideshow of his trans like his uh, progression or transgression as uh, it were where it's just three pictures that i can't tell that it's the same person if i was right. cardis i'd be like what the fuck does that prove they should have fuck played music you. if there they- was the- a slideshow? Yeah. So they should have played music. <laughs> <laughs> We're only like half a dozen years from Michael Jackson's black or white music video and the face morphing technology that could have saved that scene. Yeah, they blew it on the, uh, the $10,000 wheelchair. Uh, for that this didn't work. That uh, didn't work. $10,000? On yes. that wheelchair. Which Amazing. Was, which was very uh, Captain Pike inspired, it seemed like to me. I mean, like, it, yeah. obviously it didn't go up, you know, right, right. To, to the shoulders, but still had that enclosed. Right. It's interesting that that's the sort of enclosed version. Yeah, they're that hating they on the, uh, the disabled. For, 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 <laughs> the, for the future. Everyone with Allen Iverson's disease has to use it. That's <laughs> 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 not. About the no. shadow thing, though, I started to wonder if uh, Michael Bowman, the director, just did that because he was like, I just don't want to show this makeup. I, I, I want to show it as little as possible and save it for the reveal moments so that we get a little bit of drama from it. But we don't want people looking at it for a long time. And did we consider the possibility that they just reused the old age pieces that they used with uh, Dr. Bones? <laughs> They're just like, we have these hanging around. I mean, there's eye holes here and a mouth here. It, well, let's, let's just give it a try. Let's it just give it a try. that bad. Like, it has pieces and it's got cracks and you might be right. Or maybe they used DeForest Kelly's actual face at this point. <laughs> Hello, no, guys. that would have been believable. It's good to see you again. <laughs> they actually really interestingly took a Michael Myers mask, which is... <laughs> James D. Kirk. <laughs> they de-Kirked it. Or they re-Kirkified it. <laughs> They recurcified it. Like adding molasses to white sugar. <laughs> what? I don't know what that means. I don't know what I love. 
love it. Is that Put a the baker's, baker's in the audience too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love number five hundred on baking podcasts. That's know. right. Tag that shit. This is a baking <laughs> podcast. Ask me anything about your Starfleet bakes. I want to hear it. <laughs> oh, y'all, this has been a fun, fun night. What what do you got left to say about this particular episode, Jimmy? Uh, I would have to give it maybe a a five on my warp speed. It's uh got a it, it had a lot of potential. I love the idea. I thought it was pretty interesting that uh episode sixteen that they make a guest star the star of the show, and there's no B plot really. There's no you know, virus going around that they have to save. The ship is in danger. <laughs> they really just run with this one thing. The rare uh, non-virulent uh, right. And episode. It, it's, it's, uh, it didn't work out, but I can see it's like a young writer like just flexing their muscles. It, it's the beginning of how Star Trek is going to get better because they're they're going into a direction where they don't feel like they have to piece together three different ideas. They, they're mm-hmm. They're exploring an idea. So... I give you kudos for that. Um, just, you know, fire the makeup person. <laughs> or maybe it wasn't their fault. Maybe that was the best you could do in 1988. Like, that could have been, like, this was the best thing. And the guy was like, yeah, I just crushed that. and knocked it out of the park. I think at this point, you know, as a relatively fledgling production company doing everything themselves, I, I would put most of the things down to budgetary and time constrictions, but I'm very kind that way because uh, I want that shit when I do something stupid. Um, so what 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 are your thoughts, Greg? What how, how would you rank this episode? Jimmy gives it five, warp speed five. How many... Um, I don't know how many Romulan ales you give it, and we'll we'll figure <laughs> mm. out the conversion chart later. I give it two strong doses of Space Viagra uh, <laughs> because I mean I, I, it's it's a middle nice. of the road episode. I think it fails on a whole bunch of levels. Uh, I I'm not crazy about the stars' performance. I don't know about the the voice mm-hmm. vocal thing. Just didn't really kind of connect for me. Uh, but I liked uh. uh a lot of the performances, and I agree with Jimmy that it is odd that we have this episode that doesn't really feature any character development for any of our, our main cast. It is really uh, only um, about, uh, you know, Admiral Mark Jake Jameson and what he has been grappling with with this whole time. So ambitious, uh, you know, I'm glad that it was it was made in the way it was, but uh, I... I I think the $10,000 could have just gone to the face and I it could have improved this episode a lot. Spend your money however you want, but I do think that makeup is more interesting than a wheelchair. Uh, what do you got, Kate? Yeah, I was going to give this uh, uh, out of 10, four hours in the makeup chair. Uh, <laughs> uh, the, the episode's kind of a bummer, honestly. Mm-hmm. Like, it ends very solemnly. Like, it doesn't end... You know, it, 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 we don't have sort of a ha-ha moment of freeze frame where we, you know, sort of have a, a glib little moment. We have Picard and Riker talking about aging and wisdom and, you know, sort of musing on life, as it were. But it, it kind of has a, a little bit of a, of a bummer ending. Um, there are things that I like about it. There are things that I don't like about it. So, yeah, um, sure. you know, I'm going to put it on my playlist, but I'm not going to listen to it very often. <laughs> Fair enough. Maybe maybe when the shuffle comes up every once in a while, you skip. Um, I give it like seven. 
out of a hundred? Twelve. Seven seven out of twelve um binars. Uh I don't know. I couldn't think of a, a ranking system so that's, that's to go with this. That's full, fourteen binars, but, yeah, but like out a, of but out of twenty four. Um, <laughs> so the way this one works for me is it uh, it functioned on a rewatch as a, a reintroduction of that feeling of binging Star Trek: The Next Generation, which was clearly for me my first binge obsession as as a human. It was the first non-movie thing that I had all of. Like I had the Star Wars movies, but that's only six hours really when you get down to it. At this point, the Star Trek movies would have been about the same. But I very quickly had, you know, the moment the last episode of the first season ended, I had all of those episodes and I would rewatch them on those VHS tapes. And I remembered this one so hard. And that feeling was incredible. And then... To see, because uh, I, I didn't know at the time who Marsha Hunt was. And, like, I'm, I haven't seen her in a ton of stuff and almost always as um, a supporting character. But I think of, she played one of the sisters in Pride and Prejudice with Greer Garson, which is such a really good version of that. And, you know, she's one of the mothers in Johnny Got His Gun, which I've seen several times in, you know, various mm-hmm. incarnations uh, <laughs> on cable or... Uh, uh, DVD, and to really have the pleasure of of being able to watch this episode with a little bit more uh, knowledge now that I haven't seen it in twenty years, it really meant a lot to me. So yeah, seven out of fourteen binars, which makes a total of fourteen out of twenty four uh, uh, or twenty eight. Not to be, I don't know. I was a math major for a semester, but it was like twenty five years ago. I do I love fashion this. in this episode. <laughs> I do say those powder blue military uniforms that Karnas and his crew have. I didn't realize like oh, yeah. the cool insignias on them. Yeah, they're right here in the middle, right under their their throat. They're like they were right there in the middle. A, you don't see powder uh, blue as a choice very often, and uh, they really rocked it. It makes their 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 old faces look young. As a Kansas City Royals fan, uh, you should look at the players who played in the 80s, and they, they in those powder blue uniforms, <laughs> look like they're in their 80s. So it's it's pretty good. And uh, was it George Pataki? It sounds like that. He was a... Yeah, he was, he's he was got a vague, team. a vague Dan Quisenberry kind of sound to him. <laughs> well, everyone, this has been a fantastic evening uh, with the four of us. Whenever you watched it, maybe it's a great morning for you with the four of us having just spent our evening. So grapple with that time travel Whoa. shit. <laughs> I, I think Jimmy can find an answer again. to his worries about uh, the youthening husband and the wife still getting older in the second season of Mork and Mindy, where I know they had that conversation in a much more interesting way than they did in this particular episode. But not funny, though. Mork and Mindy wasn't funny? <laughs> no, it's, that episode was their, uh, their, their serious drama side one. Oh yeah, yeah, that was that was a little weird. But then uh, Jonathan Winters comes in and says something, and everybody laughs, and it's perfect. Um, let's go get our pants wet. Let's wet our pants. 
Thanks for being with us on the bridge for this episode of Re-Engage. Next week, we are continuing on our mission with the next episode of Star Trek The Next Generation. Follow Re-Engage on Instagram and Twitter at Re-Engage, capital T-N-G, to get updates on episode drops and all kinds of fun Star Trek shenanigans. Follow Kate Yeager at Yeagerlicious on Twitter and Insta. Eric Gratton, who is me, is at Eric Falls Down. That's Eric with a K on Twitter and Insta. Jimmy G is of course at the Jimmy G on Insta. Greg Tito is at Greg Tito on Twitter and at Greg underscore Tito on Instagram. Re-Engage is edited and mixed by the amazing Krista Curry at Krista from Glee on Twitter. Krista with a K. And Krista.Curry on Instagram. Logo artwork by Mojo Jojo underscore 97 on Twitter or Mojo97.com. Theme music is by Ryan Marth. Thank you for listening. Standing by for the saucer section to re-engage.